For too long, the fertility market has been bewildering, overwhelming, and frankly, I think has downright ignored the needs and difficult experiences of the people they're supposed to be serving. Ovum has made it their mission to change this completely. Now, I am extremely choosy about who I promote on this podcast because I'm very protective of my listeners and audience, which is why you've probably only ever heard one spoken ad like this before. So it's with complete confidence, excitement and pride that I can share this amazing company with you. Ovum care about you, truly. From creating products to support conception and fertility that are designed by doctors and backed by the latest science without cutting any corners, from adding access to meditations I've personally written and recorded inside their pregnancy test boxes, Ovum is founded by individuals who've navigated infertility themselves. I really couldn't be more proud to partner with them and tell you about them. Ovum is driven by the belief that everyone who is trying to conceive deserves better, and I am 100% behind this ethos. So head over to startwithovum.com and use code LIFERAFT10 for 10% off their tests and supplements. So many of my friends were having babies so easily. My mum always likens it to shelling peas. <laughs> they sort of sneeze and get pregnant and whoops. And I, um, I felt really alone, isolated. And I, I didn't really know about this whole community online sharing about fertility or secondary infertility. Welcome to Fertility Life Raft, episode one of the brand new series. I'm so delighted to be back with this podcast after a bit of a lengthy hiatus. We've got a brand new name. I've changed it from the TTC Life Raft, mostly so that it's a bit easier to find, but also because not everyone who listens is actually TTC trying to conceive. They might be going through a different sort of fertility journey. They might be a healthcare provider. So, I am delighted to share with you today a conversation which I had with Elle Wright, who you heard just now, aka Feathering the Empty Nest on the gram. She is an author, she's a content creator, an all-round Instagram goddess, and we met at her gorgeous house. We drank tea, we ate lemon drizzle cake, we listened to Boris snoring on her lap, and we spoke about what's happened to Elle, what happened to her when she started sharing her story, what's going on with her and Nico right now. We also talk about why we still need to share this stuff so that the wider society can start really getting a bit more of an understanding about what to say and what not to say to anyone going through this really tricky path to parenthood and talk about the ways that she has found can really help as they navigate this incredibly challenging path. Maybe sit down with a cup of tea yourself or if you're on the move just have a listen to this inspirational woman. I have kind of stalked you now for about not <laughs> about at all. a year. And no. I, I just feel bad because like the first time we arranged it, and then I couldn't do it, and then it's just been yeah. But, you know, I I am quite a firm believer in these things happen at the right time, and I yeah. kind of actually I really feel like this is a great time for us to have this conversation. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know who you are, and I'm sure everyone 
will, but for anyone who doesn't. I'm sure there are plenty of people who don't have a Scooby. <laughs> now, so honestly, please, I feel like we get wrapped up in the world of Instagram and actually be, having followers on Instagram is a bit like being rich in Monopoly. It doesn't really mean anything That's at really all. good analogy, um, I love you know, it. It doesn't mean anything in real life, so I don't ever expect or assume that anyone would know who I am, ever. <laughs> okay, so if people don't know who you are, could you tell us your story. So my name's Elle, I'm 34. I actually became a mother after a natural pregnancy in 2016. My husband and I tried for a baby for around 10 months, fell pregnant naturally. That felt like a lifetime and I'm, I know that's perfectly normal and perfectly, you know, I was just expecting it to happen right there and then. It was like, oh, I want a baby. I'm definitely going to have one. So we found out in September 2015 that we were expecting a baby. And in May 2016, we gave birth to our little boy, Teddy. Teddy was, was really poorly after he was born. He was resuscitated in the night and subsequently we were transferred to a neonatal intensive care unit in a nearby hospital. He was there for three days and they ran every single test on him, fathomable, I think. Um, and it, they had to withdraw his life support three days later, which was on the 19th of May, 2016. Obviously, that completely turned our worlds upside down and changed our lives unrecognisably forever. I decided to stay on maternity leave we're extremely lucky in the UK that if you're on maternity leave and you have a baby who doesn't survive through stillbirth, neonatal death or sudden infant, infant death syndrome, you're entitled to take your full year, which I think is really important if you want it and you need it. Because for me, it wasn't just the physical recovery of a full-term labour, it was the emotional roller coaster that is grief and shock. About nine months after Teddy died, while I was still on maternity, at the beginning of 2017, I lost another baby at 15 weeks. So I'd actually found out again that I was pregnant naturally about four months after Teddy had passed away, which obviously we wanted, and it, but it, I didn't expect it to happen that quickly. And that was another pregnancy that baby was very poorly and heartbeat stopped and was obviously heartbreaking, devastating. Not just given what we had already recently been through, um, I think it would have been devastating for anybody at any time, um, but it was kind of a, an another blow and not what I expected to happen. I expected, I don't know why, I expected that we were kind of owed some good luck. I know that sounds weird. I, just I think I would feel the same. Say yeah. that out loud. I didn't think that lightning could strike twice, but it does and it can and it has and after that point I kind of felt really low and really alone and so many of my friends were having babies so easily my mum always likens it to shelling peas <laughs> they sort of sneeze and get pregnant and whoops and I um <laughs> I felt really alone isolated and I I didn't really know about this whole community online sharing about fertility or secondary infertility. I knew about loss because I'd used the time after Teddy had died to connect with other parents who'd also lost children. But I, I didn't really know much about fertility and, and those kind of things. And I think there was this sort of expectation that after Teddy died, that, you know, we would eventually or, you know, almost quite quickly get some kind of a happy ending, inverted commas, 
whatever that looked like. Um, and I felt like losing that second baby to me just showed that it wasn't going to come easily. It was, you know, that you're always going to be up against something, if that makes sense. And I started writing. I started uh, sharing a little bit on Instagram, first of all, um, in captions, and then quite quickly it started to kind of accumulate people who wanted to follow me and see what I was doing. I didn't just talk about loss, um, I didn't just talk about fertility, I was sharing pictures of my home and all the other things that I love and, and forests and all the things that kept me going um, at a time when I didn't really have a purpose. And so I just started sharing pictures of our home, which has always been a huge passion of mine, and our garden, um, and things like that. And people started being really kind and sort of speaking back to me, and I was connecting with lots of people, so I began to write a blog. And that was at the beginning of 2017. And um, after that, I was really fortunate. I got to write some pieces for Rock My Family and Rock My Style, which I think for me was really a kind of springboard into what happened next. Um, which I did not expect. Um, later in the year I was approached by a literary agent and um, at, by the end of the year had um, signed a, a book deal um, to tell Teddy's story. And last year, in uh, September 2018, my first book was published, Ask Me His Name, and it is a story from our journey into parenthood, what we went through with Teddy from the moment he was born to the moment that he died what our family and our friends went through. Um, there's a, a full chapter in there, um, written by my husband, my mum, my friends, my sister-in-law. It's really just a full sort of journey of, of everything that happened and what I did after Teddy died to cope, to do life again, and things that I used to, to help me along the way. And I hope that you know, it's just my experience, it's just our experience. I'm not saying that I'm the Dalai Lama of grief and baby loss. I'm just, and that's not what I've ever intended to set myself up to be. This has purely happened by, I mean, I don't really know, it snowballed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just my experience, but I hope that in writing that and sharing it, that there will be a parent, a mother out there who is like me, who was desperately Googling for the answer at 2am when she's lost her baby and she might stumble across my blog or she might stumble across a link to my book on Amazon and she might decide to read it. You know, none of our experiences are the same, they're not identical, but there are so many crossovers in feelings and emotion and I know that it's helped people because I get people write to me every day and yeah. say, I feel like you climbed inside my head. Um, brilliantly and very humbling as well is I actually get a lot of healthcare professionals write to me now. So neonatalists, um, midwives, student midwives, um, obstetric consultants writing to me and saying thank you so much for writing this because although I know how to deal with these things professionally up until this point I've had no idea what that journey looks like for parents after they leave the hospital. What happens to them? What happens to the whole family? Um, how does it feel? Um, how do you get through it? How do you carry on living? That was why I wrote Ask Me His Name. But again, I was very fortunate that it, it went on to uh, make its way onto the Sunday Times bestseller list. Amazing. Kind of blew my mind more than I knew it could be blown. Um, <laughs> and um, child loss and miscarriage and carry on happening. But if we can support those people when it does happen, or if we can 
you know, make people more aware of signs or whatever else that it might be, then I think that's all any of us want to do. I stumbled across your blog last, I think it was, um, yeah, probably about a year and a half ago, and I hadn't been through a loss, I hadn't actually known anyone who had, and I just found it, I think it was just the way it was written was so intimate and yet so kind of almost kind of simple and I don't mean that in a kind of like simple writing. I am quite basic. Like, <laughs> but it was just that kind of, it was just very relatable even though it was so far away from anything that I had experienced and I just remember being you know very drawn to to this blog and then I remember finding it on Instagram and I was like I just I just really want to speak to this person and then having since followed you since that whole time. It's been quite amazing to kind of watch what's happened with that and I actually finished, I read your book again over the last couple of days because I wanted to like refresh my memory about what was in it and why it was so extraordinary and I think I think well one of the reasons was just like on the front cover you know you, it's it's a mother's story of hope isn't it and it's that it's amazing to write something so uplifting and positive on a story which is so heartbreaking and so devastating and I think I was drawn to that because the whole way through our fertility journey trying to have our daughter I just found like I couldn't find anything, you know, to kind of move on to fertility stuff. I couldn't find anything that was people talking about what they were going through, but but giving me positive ways to kind of get through it. Mm. All, all I saw was just how awful it was going to be. Yeah. You know, and I was so terrified when I was told I was going to need an IVF because I honestly hadn't heard anyone anywhere say that it was going to be okay and that yeah. I was going to get through it. All, all, all I heard was just, I was just so scared. So I remember going through this and just and, and you know just trying to find something that was positive and I think that's what I really found with what you were saying in your book about how after Teddy died it was that thing of like trying to find the connection with someone else who had been through that but when you went onto that Facebook group that you talk about in the yeah. book and it was just this whole like why is life so shit yeah. thing. Which of course you need to express that, and you you know you yeah, it is. Of and course, we all know it is. It's like, so you know shit. I mean? Yeah, we know exactly. it is. We know that you know life, <laughs> life is can be really shit, and then you we all die. You know, like no one's <laughs> getting out of here alive, and it's that sounds so you know so cynical. But I think what I found personally after Teddy died is that I could read other people's words, and I just never really found anybody who was telling me that it was going to be okay. And exactly what you wanted, you know, with fertility, I think that the feelings and emotions that go side by side are so, so similar. They kind of run parallel because, you know, we, we know this thing has happened or is going to happen and we know we're going to face this struggle and then we're kind of sort of standing on a cliff edge, we're on the precipice and we're deciding whether we can fall one way or we can fall the other way. And do we want to fall further into hope and despair when things already feel so bloody awful and we've <laughs> mentally recognised that they're bloody awful and miserable? Or do we want to fall the other way and decide that actually we're going to take this, we're going to take this situation and we're going to look for hope and we're going to look for somebody who tells me over there that they've been through it and they're okay and she's still standing. I'm gonna look at her, you know, and that was what I that was what I wanted to find, and I guess I never really quite found it. And all my other friends who'd also lost children and who were writing, we'd all lost kids within six months of each other, um, and so we were we were all saying this, you know, we were all feeling the same. We we didn't have anyone who was sort of ahead of us, way ahead of us, and I just thought, you know, if I can start writing, and I 
can be that person that eventually somebody else sees me. I guess I, I guess I am that now because I'm three years into it. I mean, I don't. I'm not going to lie and say I wake up every morning and you know with a spring in my step and think that the world's wonderful and you know that I don't feel sadness and I don't think about Teddy. Of course I do. You know, it's the way I explain it to people is it doesn't matter what I can be doing anything I'm having the best time and doing anything and we have had some lovely wonderful happy times since Teddy died but it's always there it's mm. always and I suppose a little bit like fertility and infertility and as I've now come to learn with secondary infertility is even when you're doing whatever you're doing have the having the best bloody time in the world it is always there it's never further than the next thought from your mind mm. It's, it's sort of sitting on your shoulder, niggling away at you. And I think with Teddy, you know, obviously I always think about him and he's always my next thought, as he would be if he were here. Like, you're sure, you know, I'm sure you find with your daughter, you think about her constantly in the day if you're not with her. It's the same. And just because he died, that's no different. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I suppose a lot of what I've been doing and writing about has probably now further down the line enables other people to feel hopeful mm. and that's all all you want to be able to do mm. is that you know even if you can pass on something of this is how I got through that day or this is how I got through that emotion or this is how I got through a first birthday or an anniversary of some kind or this is how I get through pregnancy announcements or you know, whatever it is, whatever it is, there's so much, isn't there? There's so many layers. <laughs> but that's it, there are so many layers, and that's why whenever I talk to anyone for this podcast, you could just go on mm -hmm. forever, because there's so many different aspects of it. And, you know, I, I, I called it the life raft, because I am, that's exactly what I'm trying to do, is to give people something that they can just, I want people to come on and listen to this, and every time they listen to it, hear something that they can go, oh, that's helpful, I'm going to use that, I'm going to put that one in my, my back pocket. Or, you know, just have just something that they can hang on yeah. to. Um, so, sorry, for everyone listening, <laughs> there's some uh, We're at work. my house. <laughs> and um, if you do happen to follow me on Instagram, then you'll know that I've currently had builders in my house since February, and they don't seem to be leaving anytime <laughs> soon. Um, so if you can hear the most annoying... <laughs> noise in the world in the background um <laughs> that is what it is and um, it's not boris snoring for once it's the joy of um a, a portable studio <laughs> um so you've obviously i mean this this has been the most um yeah well, like i keep saying this word extraordinary because i think that kind of sums up what has happened to you nico over the last three years and also what's you know the the amazing response that you have had from sharing it but I was thinking when I finished the book and I was like, but your story's carrying on. Like there's a lot more now actually that's happened since the book came out. Yeah. You know, and it's not been easy. Essentially, after we lost um, the second baby, I had real trouble with my cycles coming back. And that was at the beginning of 2017. Um, and by the end of the summer, the consultant was kind of really confused as to why they hadn't come back. I'd had blood tests, I'd had a hysteroscopy, I'd had an HSG, I'd had all these things. Everyone was up there having a rummage um, and having a look around. And um, she said, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's grief. I don't know if it's shock. And actually, you know, what goes on up here in our minds and in our hearts, as we know, can affect the rest of our physiological body so much um 
and I guess I kind of didn't really give that credit and I just thought there, there must be a physical reason, there must be a reason as to why this hasn't sort of gone back to normal. Um, and by the end of the summer my um, consultant decided that she was going to put me on sort of a hormone therapy, essentially HRT I guess, um, to try and mimic my cycles to get things back to normal. So I was on oestrogen and progesterone for the rest of that year and I think not long before Christmas and maybe like November time she put me on metformin. Mm -hmm. um, most people who've had fertility struggles know what metformin is. Um, Interestingly enough, my acupuncturist said to me, please don't go on that drug because I really don't think, knowing what I, I've been having acupuncture for about a year or so at this point, I don't think it's going to be for you. Mm. I just, I've got a feeling that it's not the reason, you know, your blood sugar is not the reason that your ovaries have a tendency to behave polycystically. You don't have polycystic ovarian syndrome, you have ovaries that sort of go a bit haywire when you're stressed and you've had the biggest year and a half of stress so please you know anyway I was at a point where I was like I'll try anything mm. I'll, try, I'll try anything because then it, you know it'd nearly been a year since we'd lost the other baby and I, I was starting to get to that point of sort of desperation because my other two pregnancies had been natural and I was sort of you know what's wrong what's wrong with me now surely there can't be something wrong um and so I went on metformin and she was right, it did bugger all for me, but I did lose a stone and a half. Wow, Yeah, I really? don't know why, I think, I, I just, it really, obviously it gets everything working more efficiently, doesn't it, and your blood sugars and things like that, and, and for me, I mean, it just, I look at pictures of myself over that sort of Christmas and January, February, and I look gaunt, mm. I look, and every time I saw friends, they kept saying, oh wow, have you lost a load of weight? Like, and actually, because when it's yourself and you look in the mirror, you don't realise, do you? Um, so by the February, so this is February last year, 2018, off all the hormones, um, uh, off metformin and on to Clomid. Um, oh yes. Lovely Clomid. boy. <laughs> Um, which in my head I thought was going to be some sort of miracle drug, did you? Did I you really did. I yeah. really thought that Clomid was going to be like, boom, ovulating, boom, pregnant, done. <laughs> Turns out, no. Um, <laughs> I had one good cycle on it, the first cycle that we did. Um, and I actually had a positive pregnancy test, but it turned out to be a chemical pregnancy because oh. it just went to nothing and then my period started. So that was in kind of beginning of March, uh, yeah, no, end of March last year. Um, and then I thought, well, you know, it worked first time, obviously, not a problem here. It's, you know, there's obviously a reason why it hasn't implanted or whatever. So off she goes, downing beetroot juice and eating kidney beans and everything else, thinking, oh, I'll show you, Clomid. You know, that was me, that was my attitude. Um, and, um, and I actually found, during that period, I found Emma's books really helpful. I'm talking about Emma Cannon, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, but I'm assuming if you listen to Alice's podcast, you definitely know. Um, so I, I, was, I was using a lot of Emma's recipes for, you know, following her cycles. And, but Clomid just, like, took over and fucked up my cycles. And I think by the third one, I had, like, a 62-day cycle. And so we were going, like, way into the summer. And I, and every, and I was going back for monthly scans with my... Um, consultant and 
she was just not really understanding why everything was sort of going a bit haywire. Uh, I think there was a couple of longer cycles where I did ovulate, but really, really late. So, I mean, goodness knows if that would have been any good. Um, and then when we were in the depths of the summer and she could kind of see how desperate I was getting, she said, um, you know, because it's been over two years since Teddy died now, um, technically you've been, you know, you've been trying for a baby for over two years um, and we don't really, we can't put our finger on it apart from these ovaries that like to behave polycystically. Um, so we're going to um, refer you five EF. And I was like, you, I just heard those three letters and I thought, what? I don't need IVF. I don't need IVF. I just, I've had, I've had two pregnancies. One was full. I don't need IVF. Mm. And I just remember feeling terrified, terrified, like I was standing on the edge of this complete unknown. And I don't know if it made you, you know, made you feel like that, but totally. And I. <clears throat> I just sort of said, oh, do you, do you really think I need that? That was my yeah. response. <laughs> I think I probably said it. To the women who had like 35 <laughs> years of obstetric and gynaecology, you know, experience. Like, oh, you really think I need that, do you? <laughs> <sighs> no idea. Um, but I guess maybe that is my problem, is I am the eternal optimist. I am ever hopeful. I do think the best is going to happen. So every month, you know, I would be like, well game time this is going to be it isn't it and I and I, I never really I have to say and I know this probably makes me a bit strange but I think because I had so many trouble troubles with my cycles after we lost the second baby um I never got upset when my period came which I know from speaking to a lot of other women that it brings tears and uh, you know that awful awful feeling for me, every time I actually got a period, I was practically bouncing off the walls because it told me that my body was actually working again mm. properly. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a double-edged sword, although I wanted a baby, um, another baby, still want another baby, um, and I was disappointed I didn't get that really sort of heavy low and sadness each, each time that happened. Um, well, it's like you, you you have another chance then, don't yeah. you? Yeah. As soon as the period comes, you're like, okay, brilliant, I can try again but, next yeah. time. And I think that was it, really. Um, so we had our IVF referral, um, and by September, we were, yeah, end of September, beginning of October, we were in there having our booking appointment, doing all of the the paperwork. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My God, never tells you about that, do they? I remember feeling quite daunted by all the paperwork. And we need to do this blood test and that blood test and that screening and that screening and have you had your thyroid tested and all of this stuff. Um, and that was quite daunting, I think particularly for my husband because up till this point it had really just been me who'd endured all the poking and the prodding and the everything and suddenly it was like, oh, we're going to look at your sperm. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, there's nothing wrong with my sperm. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. So that was kind of, I think, a big thing for us to do together. Um, we actually started treatments, our first round of treatments, in November, um, the end of 2018. And we got two weeks into a shorter IVF protocol um, on Menopure. Um, and it, my ovaries just didn't play ball. So I had 
sort of one mega follicle, one mothership, and like two tiny ones, and all the others were so small they just didn't do anything. So they tried kind of a week in, just suddenly up, you know, upping the dosage and then dipping it back down again because they didn't want me to overstimulate mm. because obviously having a tendency to polycystic ovaries and having an AMH of 99 plus, I think mine was. So they've said, you know, you, you've got many fertile years left mm. and you know you don't have a uh, we don't have a problem with amh in fact we need to really err on the side of caution um they had too much on the side of caution and then we had to pull the plug so we were just given a trigger shot to administer and um again i thought well there we go i'm gonna get pregnant then aren't i, I won't need idea such an idiot um anyway so that didn't that didn't work um and then we actually decided because they gave us the choice you know when do you want to start next and I just thought you know rip the plaster off let's just we're in the mind frame we'll just go into it so mm -hmm. my period came over sort of Christmas time and then we went straight back into it in January but they decided to do a long protocol so then we waited three weeks I went on to Bucerolin which turns out uh, makes me a psychopath. Um, so that was really good fun. Ooh. Yeah, an agoraphobic psychopath. Really? Did it affect you that much? So much. Oh. And then I've spoken to a few friends recently, you know, some friends I've met through Instagram who've also done Bucerolin as, a, as a, a treatment option, and they've all said the same thing, oh, bloody hell, you know, never put me back on that drug because, um, yeah. It, mm. Interestingly enough, I've spoken to the IVF doctor since, and he said that if bucerolin makes you like that, it's really indicative of, um, of how you're going to be when you go through the menopause. So really? when he said that, you should have seen my husband's face. <laughs> he was like, and how long does that go on for? <laughs> so, so yeah, so we, did, we started that um, uh, January. And then by the beginning of February, we'd done two weeks of menopause. It looked like the same thing was going to happen with the follicles, but then they literally up they thought no you know we're gonna up the dosage seriously and they were like go home rest 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 water like totally take it easy and just will those little follicles to start growing yeah and that was what I did and I uh, and I got sent away on the Friday afternoon being told mm, we'll see how it goes over the weekends let's hope for a miracle went back in on the Monday morning and suddenly we had like 18 follicles oh. there and I was like what the hell happened there um uh so we had uh egg collection we ended up with I think we had I had 10 eggs collected and then we had three embryos and all three made it to day five. Those phone calls, though. Ooh, the wait between them, I know. I just, every time I saw that no no caller ID flashing up on my phone, I'd say to Nick, oh, you have to answer it. And it was... Ooh. Yeah, that was really, really tough because we had the egg retrieval on the Thursday, first phone call on the Friday, and then they said to us on the Friday, um, now we're expecting, these are good quality, we're expecting them to make it to Monday for your um, transfer. So if you don't hear from us over the weekend, then obviously things are looking good. But you might hear from us over the weekend. So of course all of Saturday and Sunday you're, you, you're constantly staring at your phone, sort of waiting, not wanting it to ring, but waiting for it to ring because you think inevitably it's about to go tits up. Um, 
and it didn't and I get thinking okay so then we went in on um, on the Monday morning and they said you've still got three day five and we're gonna put the best one in um, and that was a weird experience because I thought it would be more clinical than it was so in our IVF um, clinic uh, they don't get you gowned up or any of that stuff for transfer you just go through in your clothes pop you, on in you sit down in it, i went into a bit through a magic door that i'd never even knew it's obviously a sterile area totally different so i didn't know it existed and we popped through this magic hole in the wall and then the next thing i know i was there was it was just like there you were ready to go with your legs in stirrups and somebody on the other side of the room opens what i can only describe as a 1960s dining room hatch <laughs> You know, you know the ones? The hatch open. <laughs> um, sorry, for, for, uh, for the effect of the podcast, I'm, I'm currently dramatically swinging my arms open into the room. And, and out popped this embryologist's head from the other side. And she says, OK. And then they start obviously double-checking, you are who you are. Nico is who my husband is, who he is. Mm. Um, and OK. And then she says, oh, do you want to look up at the screen? And we see this beautiful like a like a moon like a mm. like yeah and it's wiggling dancing about on the screen and it was so surreal uh, to think that that was what was being popped back in mm. um and the next bit was a bit of an anti-climax because <laughs> they just go all done then up you get and I was like what there's that's it, it I didn't feel anything I didn't really see anything because I was lying <laughs> back and I just you know that was it and we were just told to you know go away be normal you know, you don't have to lie around on your back for the rest of the day. Um, and, yeah, then the two, week, the two weeks um, was just bloody torturous, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. For want of a better expression. I think you just swing from, like, I, I'm always like a pendulum, just like, it's worked. It hasn't worked. It's yeah. worked. No, it definitely hasn't worked. <laughs> yeah. And then I um, became that woman who was frantically Googling in the middle of the night, Googling every, you know, every symptom that, that meant I was pregnant, but then obviously at the same time meant I definitely wasn't <laughs> pregnant. Um, so that was a really fun two weeks. Um, and then quite unbelievably, at the end of the two weeks, we found out that it had worked. Um, so I was in complete shock, complete denial. I don't know how many sticks I peed on, unconfirmed. Um, and continued to pee on for the next few days. Um, but then, a couple, literally, a, a sort of a day after I'd done, you know, one of those digital tests that had said I was one, two weeks pregnant or whatever, um, I started spotting and I was terrified over that weekend. Terrified. Um, and to cut a long, the longest story short ever, um, we ended up miscarrying. Um, but it was a mis-miscarriage and it was misdiagnosed uh, quite a few times because they couldn't really see what was going on so there was lots of coming back in for a scan at the early pregnancy unit lots of bloods being taken we think you've got an ectopic pregnancy get admitted to hospital had an anaesthetic woke up really sorry there's nothing in your tubes you haven't got an ectopic pregnancy admitted to hospital Stayed there for a few days, came home, had another scan, you've had a missed miscarriage. The IVF clinic then wanted to have another look. They said, no, we don't think you have. We think we need to leave it a bit longer, so I get left to wait another week. Oh. I go back to them, they say, yes, 
you've had a miscarriage, there's something there but it's not developing. I get booked in for a DNC. I go in for a DNC, I wake up. Um, the consultant says to me, I'm really sorry, we haven't done the DNC because we started scanning over your abdomen to show us about what we needed to do. Um, and there aren't, there isn't one sac, there's two. So I go from having lost my baby twice to being told that I'm having twins, essentially. Um, and it was just this horrible, horrible rollercoaster, sent away for another week, back again. Um, to, I mean obviously I'm really simplifying this and, and not throwing in all the emotions and the crying and the googling and the just pure desperation really and um, the following week went back and they scanned again and they said yeah that confirmed that basically the embryo had split it had turned into identical twins um, and the risk of, of twin miscarriage because that tiny little speck goes to two even tinier little specks couldn't, couldn't carry on, couldn't do it. And um, so I went back in the following week to have a DNC. And um, yeah, kind of since then, that was in March of this year. And the last sort of three and a half months have just been a, a roller coaster of waiting to find out what went wrong um, and uh, waiting to find out why my HCG wasn't going down. You couldn't make it up. I think that's what I kept saying to everybody. And I had to stop telling my friends really what was going on. Because, and, and almost now, kind of at the moment as well, everybody says, oh, how are you? And I know it's a loaded, how are you? It's a what's going on question, which I totally understand. Um, but, uh, sorry for, for the, <laughs> For everyone who's wondering what Boris's noises are, he's just face-planted my lemon drizzle cake <laughs> and is now proceeding to, after having it removed from his jaws, to uh, lick it all up off the sofa. Charming. <laughs> um, pugs are like little waste disposal units. Um, but yeah, it was just this horrible roller coaster that we went up and down and up and down on um, and it ended as, as it ended. Um, and then my HCG, HCG wouldn't come out of my blood. So um, it, on the day that I'd had my DNC, it was 91,000. And three weeks later, it was still 5,000 something. Um, and they couldn't understand why. So even though they tested everything from the miscarriage, they then sent it off to Charing Cross Hospital because they were worried that I had um, an invasive molar pregnancy. Oh my God. I haven't yeah. even heard of that. What's that? So it's a molar pregnancy, which is when... The, uh, I mean, there are two types. You've got a normal molar, and then you've got like an, in, like it's like a half molar or a full molar. But it basically, it's when um, you get implantation, and then the embryo, the, I think it's to do with the genetic information. It isn't there that's come from the sperm, so that it isn't there. And so what happens is, um, rather than a, um, sort of fetus starting to form and a separate placenta, just tissue starts to form, which is like right. no, no, nothingness in a sac. Um, and so they they didn't think I had that. They thought that the, um, the sacs had looked like they had started developing um, and then everything had stopped developing. There wasn't a massive tissue or anything like that in there when they went in there um, or when they saw anything on the scans. And so... Um, my consultant came saying, "Look, I don't think that this is what I don't think this is what it is. You know, I, I really don't." And I, I and I was just thinking, "Oh, she's just trying to reassure me because I've had such a, a 
run of bad luck that, you know, she's just saying, you know, surely this couldn't happen to you kind of thing. And of course, in my head, after everything that had already ensued, I was thinking, well, of course it's going to happen to me. Of course I'm going to be the one woman who goes in to have IVF and have a baby and not only walks away miscarrying two babies, but now has a rare form of uterine cancer. <laughs> you know, that, I mean, you say it like that and you have to laugh, don't you? Because you couldn't bloody make it up. And I... When this consultant, it wasn't my normal consultant, the lovely lady who I see who's been looking after me for the last few years, it was a colleague of hers and he did this scan and said, yeah, well, you know, your HCG is still really high and, and we could, it still looks like there might be some sort of shadow in there, so we need to check out that that's not an invasive molar and it starts, because it starts to produce HCG again and you have to have treatment. Um, essentially, you have to have chemotherapy drugs to get rid of it and you have to go to Charing Cross and go to their treatment centre. Um you can get, if you want to know any more information about, um, you know, miscarriage, molar pregnancy, if you look um, at Tommy's The Baby Charity online, they have a brilliant directory that kind of explains all of these things and explains treatment. And they, using that information, accessing that um, online really helped me mm -hmm. and Nico when we were going through this because I, I was like you, I'd, I'd heard of it because I've worked with Tommy's previously, but I didn't really know what it was. And I didn't really know um, how it would affect somebody and, and what treatment they would then have to go on to have. Um, anyway, I waited for six weeks for those results, six from March to the end of April. Um, so like over Easter, over my birthday and our wedding anniversary, I still didn't know, I still didn't know. I was going back into the hospital every week to have my HCG monitored and it was coming down, but it was still, high it was still like somebody who was eight weeks pregnant um and um eventually i had a, a phone call from my consultant on a friday afternoon and she just said i'm so relieved and as soon as she said the words i'm so relieved i thought mm. oh my god I, I you could have knocked me down with a feather i was like i'd convinced myself i'd convinced myself that i that it was going to be me because why wouldn't it be me because everything else seems to have happened to me um and it wasn't and since then I've just been kind of recovering from I mean that's only like two months ago really that I had that phone call and so just been recovering um and not being on any drugs oh yay and uh, it's so weird because I haven't been any on any drugs since they told me to come off the progesterone pessaries before they diagnosed miscarriage which is probably at the end, di actually diagnosed it, the end of March. Um, and so, you know, I've had a good few drug-free months um, uh, and, I, and I kind of stopped and realised that I've been on some kind of medication, some kind of hormone therapy since July 2017. Oh my God. There's nice, not been a time where I've not been on something. Um, and although, you know, I, during that time I've kept up with fairly sort of healthy lifestyle and exercise and, you know, looking after myself and having alternative treatments as well. I'm really big into acupuncture, reflexology, most things I've tried. Um, and I was doing all of that, thinking that they were balancing me and keeping everything real and, and keeping me sort of feeling everything normally. But actually... Although I'm sure they helped, I'm certain they helped, once you don't have that medication in your system, I f I'm starting to feel like me again. And actually, I'd thought that the reason I'd felt so clouded, weird, 
was just grief and that that was going to be normal life for me now that was how I was going to feel and it, it wasn't I think I've actually passed through the very worst of grieving for Teddy and and all of the the loss that we have suffered since and although it hurts it wasn't the thing that was making me feel like that it was being on so oh many God. a plethora of different things for such a long time and actually I think my body has just now kind of had the opportunity to sort of sigh relief and just have a few months off um and it's pers on a personal level it's been really nice not to think about it mm. and I think we all need a break from it sometimes I certainly have felt like that definitely and it's really hard let's talk about that quickly actually because I only just posted yesterday or the day before something I'm, I'm I'm going on a social media holiday from Monday for a couple of weeks nice. it's the first time I've done it and I'm actually really excited yeah <laughs> feels like a proper holiday and then I was kind of talking about taking a break from fertility treatment or from whatever it is in your life and it can be really difficult to make the decision to go on a break from mm -hmm. treatment I think or if it's an enforced break it can feel really difficult. I mean ours is, is kind of an enforced break really because you know they didn't know what the hell was going on and, and even until I had a blood test at the beginning of June, beginning of June and I still had HCG, tiny tiny low levels now but it was still there mm. nearly three months later and you're like how? how? Um, <clears throat> and so now you know they're still Still trying to figure it out. Still trying to figure me out. I'm a medical miracle, not in a good way. Um, so I've had hysteroscopy, as I said to you the other day, um, recently, and um, that was an interesting one. Actually, talking about what you were saying earlier about things to say and things not to say, and I know that you've addressed this in um, a lot of your social media content of consultants in certain ways. They, I saw a new saw a new consultant for this hysteroscopy, um, and. Uh, I, there was no, I've had them before. There was no warning. There was no, um, we're going to do this at this point. This is going to feel like this. It was literally lean you in the upside down chair that you feel like you're going to fall out of, legs in stirrups. In he goes with this thing that looks like E.T.'s finger with the light on the end. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's going around saying to the nurse, take a picture, take a picture. And as I'm being tipped back down again after this two minutes of hell, um, he just says to me, oh yeah, so we've got some debris in there. That'll need clearing. He spoke to me like he was about to deal with an accident on the M4. Like, do you know what I mean? We've got some debris. That's going to need clearing. We're going to need to clear this, lads. Like, oh my do you know what I mean? God. And I was like, okay. And do we know what the, the, de the, the debris, debris is? Is it scar? Like, do I have a scar in my uterus? Is that is that what it is? Or is this still some kind of tissue left over from miscarriage? Or... Is it because I had my period recently? Uh, what is it? What is floating around in there? Um, and he just said, oh, you know, I'm going to write a letter back to the lady who looks after me. She'll deal with this. So I came out of there, none the bloody wiser, oh, other than knowing that, you know, there's this unidentifiable <laughs> flying object <laughs> that's currently, currently nestled into my uterus oh, and I have no idea what it is. Um, so yeah, it's been an enforced break because because they've just got to bloody figure it out, really. But mm. you know, my cycles have returned, you know, normally. So it's obviously not anything that's, that's blocking anything yeah. from happening. Um, and we've set the wheels in motion to, you know, go back into the IVF clinic. They've been 
wonderful and caring and lovely and our consultant there I have to say hats off to him nicest man ever couldn't have we couldn't have had any more sort of empathy from him mm. um even the wording of their letters when they've found out what happened um the meeting that my husband and I had with him he was just so caring and lovely and you know obviously he's seen our history and he's seen that we've been through some stuff um but uh, yeah, I, I can't fault him. I can't. It he's, makes all the difference, doesn't it? Yeah, got, yeah. Totally. Good care makes such a big difference. Mm. And um, yeah, so we're kind of sort of waiting. We're sort of waiting in the wings, if you like, to be told um, if we can proceed and how we can proceed. Mm -hmm. He was really positive and said, you know, now we know that it's worked for you. We know you can get pregnant. And actually, for me, that's been a huge curtain lifted. Mm. Like that doubt has just gone, and I think, yeah, I know, I know that my body can remember how to do it, which sounds really like a strange thing to say, given the circumstances, because you are essentially searching for a needle in the biggest, shittiest haystack ever. Um, but, 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 um, it's, I think, for me, having not been able to get pregnant for two years after we lost the last baby at the beginning of 2017 I'd almost convinced myself even with being mispositive that what it was that what if it does what if you can't mm. what if it doesn't happen again what if you can't get pregnant again that you know naturally or with treatment what if IVF doesn't work for you where do you go then and it um it's just lifted that cur that curtain mm. it's like psychologically I feel completely different about it now and going into it a second time although it's terrifying in many ways because you know the process now mm -hmm. um which is also quite comforting as you know it's yeah. again weird one um but and I also know that even when you get those lines it's not necessarily a given it's could all end how it ended last time but I just feel positive because I know that it can happen mm. if that makes sense um and so yeah I'm not I guess I'm not as fearful this time um you know there'll always be that little seed of self-doubt yeah. and that little it's worked it hasn't worked it's worked it hasn't worked um but yeah it's just I think after a break feeling confident enough and feeling ready yeah to step back on that roller coaster and I don't want to do it too soon neither of us do mm. I don't want to throw myself into it and think right I must hurry I must have a baby as soon as possible because you know actually it's been more than three years since Teddy died and it and it hasn't happened yet um and you know, if I can, if I can wait three years, I might have to wait another three. Um, you know, my life, in so many other aspects, is is lovely, mm. and I know that I'm really lucky, in so many other ways. And so, Emma's really great, actually, because you know she's always like, don't try and force it, don't try and control it, don't try and, you know, make it happen at this time in this way. We have to learn to, just sit with it and let it be and let things go and and you know be a bit more relaxed about it and I mm. guess this yeah has been a really shitty start to the year 
<laughs> I can't really sum it up at anything other than that. But I do feel optimistic and I do feel like when the time is right, we'll give it another shot. Mm. I just love your optimism and I think that that's what people are drawn to a lot of the time and it's that natural kind of that natural kind of hope that you have and I think that people are often scared to hope and find themselves almost going the other way where you know I kind of try and say to people a lot of the time you don't have to force yourself to be positive all the time because I, I find myself doing that quite a lot kind of I have to think positive all the time otherwise this isn't going to work and yeah. then sometimes I get people going I I am actually the opposite and I I like force myself to think negatively all the time so that I don't crash yeah and it kind of is just trying to get that middle balance yeah of just being like this is really hard and shit, but I just have to go day by day and yeah. hour by hour and just kind of... And you have to have hope, you have to have optimism and not allow yourself to, to kind of <laughs> go down that kind of downward spiral. Otherwise, totally. how are you going to get to the next day? I think gratitude as well. I mean, I've practised yoga for quite a few years now and it's become a really big part of my... Um, sort of everyday life really mm. as well as going to classes and obviously I do it for, for physical reasons but actually I, I embarked on it again after Teddy died more for up here my mind um, and my heart just to try and make myself feel stronger and um, and sort of kind of refocus and calm my fractious mind because I was a bit anxiety ridden and I, I know you know I've written about that a lot in the book how I use it to help me but I have to say, during the fertility, I hate the word, journey, um, everyone hates that word, can we come up with a new word please? Um, it's, it really has helped me to focus on cultivating a constant feeling of gratitude, yeah. to be grateful for the things that I do have. And there, of which there are so many. And I think, you know, when you start to think of it like that, um, I have my health, I have my husband, I have had Teddy and he was here and that was wonderful and I have Boris even though he tries to eat all the cake and I, you know, I ha there's all these, these things that I have and, and I think actually if you focus on the gratitude rather than being positive or being negative then that kind of overrides all of that stuff because you're just always, you just feel more grateful for the stuff that hasn't gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, and I think you're so right using that word cultivate because that is what it is and it, I think it is a practice and it is that sense of like once you start, um, once you start, it's almost like you can't stop, you know. Yeah. You sit down, you know, and I quite often do a gratitude list or I'll do my TTC Look for Beauty, which is my gratitude hashtag and I just try and... And then, and then you just start seeing it everywhere, yeah. you know, you really do and it will impact your, how you, it really impacts how you feel... Totally. Just day to day. And yeah, I think you're really right that, that actually the more you concentrate on that, you don't have to worry about yeah. that. Shall I, am I allowed to feel hope? Am I allowed to feel yeah. this? I mean, it doesn't, you can feel whatever you want to feel. It just, you and know. Because it can feel hopeless. Absolutely. I have days where I feel utterly hopeless and I feel like the universe is playing some cruel, cruel trick on me and that it's really unfair. And it is. It is really unfair. Yeah. I think infertility or fertility struggles for anyone are... Mm horrendous it's nobody should have to go through it none of us and infertility secondary infertility I think particularly after loss of a of a pregnancy 
or, a, or, or giving birth to a baby and losing that baby and then not, for whatever reason, seemingly being able to have another one just feels impossibly cruel. You know, it, that's the only way I can word it. And I think I have spent so long talking about loss and all my feelings surrounding losing Teddy um, and sort of this narrative of parenthood, if you like. And the book, as you quite rightly said, was my journey up to that point. And now, kind of in the last 18 months since I finished writing that, my journey has had so many more twists and turns in it. And what I'm talking about now and writing about now is obviously still that underlying you know, narrative of parenthood and, and trying to parent when you've lost a child but also that struggle to try and do it again. And I think it happens, secondary infertility happens to more women than we realise. And since I've started writing about it, oh my God, there are loads of us. We're so unlucky. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and then that's what people write to me. They say, it's so good. It's so refreshing to just see you say, do you know what? You don't just have a miscarriage or lose your baby and, oh, now I've got a rainbow baby and everything's fine and here's my happy ending, guys. There can be a lot of turmoil. There can be more heartbreak. It can be really shit and really hard. Sometimes don't want to keep going, but you're probably just going to keep going because that's human spirit and that's what we do, isn't it? And... And I think talking about it and not just assuming that because somebody hasn't gone on to have another pregnancy or another child that they don't want to or they're not ready is a really naive way of looking at it, you know. And I think we need to educate ourselves as a society because I've had countless people, as I said to you earlier, say to me, oh, when you're ready to have another baby, when, when you feel like you can try again and... You know, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried again. Yeah. If at first you don't succeed and all that. It's not a personal choice. I would I would have had more than one baby now since Teddy died, if I could have. Would have you know, I guess it's always been our sort of dream, if you like, to have three children. So if I want to have three children at home, I've already had Teddy, I've got to have another three pregnancies and I can't even seem to get one to work. So it's like... You know, it's not a choice. It's not a choice. And I think so many women must struggle with those everyday questions um, of, so why aren't you having another one? Or don't you want, to, do, do, do you want another child then? Or, and I'm sure, you know, you've had it and you just... Some days you can bite your tongue and some days you just want to scream and, and explain to somebody... And sometimes I do. I throw it back to them, and I'm not. I don't feel awkward with it now. Yeah. I throw that ball back to them, mm. and I let that awkwardness sit with them. Because if they're going to ask a silly question, then I'm going to give them the answer, not in a rude way, just yeah. in a actually. I've lost two more pregnancies, and we're having IVF, and you know I have an unidentifiable object in my uterus. You know. <laughs> Probably don't tell them that bit. But, you know, and I can... If I have to carry that awkwardness and that burden around and that sadness, really, isn't it? You know, when you're constantly trying. If I have to carry that around with me every day, all day, every day, mm. then if somebody asks a daft question or says something that's not necessarily been thought about carefully, then I think they almost deserve to have that awkwardness for a minute, two minutes of their lives. Because mm. it might feel crap for them in that moment, but they're going to walk away and forget about it later. You'll mm. still be sat there thinking about it. 
Exactly, and I think that's so right. You know, I, I really try and be straight with people whenever they've asked any questions, or I always try and talk about what I do as much as I can yeah. because the more that we do that, the more hopefully that you know the word will get out. And what you have done with you know, I think that's what's so amazing about the response that you've had. It's, it's getting out of the echo chamber of the lost world or the fertility world and trying to almost like make the hurdle and get the wider world to kind yeah. of understand that lodge and that that is what you've done with 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 everything that's happened since Teddy died and sharing his story and, and talking and writing the book because I mean I wouldn't have picked up a book about someone who'd lost their baby if it hadn't have been written by someone who I had got to know through social media yeah. you know so as much as social media gets a battering sometimes what it's what it can do you know the potential of what it can do yeah. and how it can transform a whole generation of people who are experiencing baby loss and fertility stuff I really think that that's something to kind of wave a flag about and be excited about if we talk about stuff everything feels better everything you know and it's these things women are still going to have fertility struggles you know we're in the middle of a fertility epidemic infertility epidemic practically aren't we because mm of all the, the different stresses and things that we, we have in life, that's not going to change. People are going to carry on losing pregnancies. That's not going to change. And I just, just, like, talk about it. Don't be weird. Don't be awkward. Yeah. There's no point. Yeah. It doesn't <laughs> help anything, does No, it, it Don't doesn't. be weird. Don't be weird. <laughs> um, that would be my only bit of professional advice. <laughs> but it kind of sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it basically sums it up. Um, Elle, I know you have to go to an appointment, so I'm going to wrap it up. But thank you so much. Mate, my pleasure. Thank you. Everything. Thank and you just for having me. So open, so honest and so wonderful. So thank you very much. Thank you. You heard it here first, people. Don't be weird. Don't be awkward. And then everything will be fine. <laughs> I think it really does sum it up. Massive thanks again to Elle. What a woman. I'm truly grateful for everyone who takes the time to talk to me for this podcast. And I'm really grateful to you for listening and being a part of my community, our community here. Um, if you would care to leave me a rating or a review on iTunes, then I will enter you into a draw to win chocolate brownies for life. Um, okay, that's not true in the slightest, <laughs> <the slightest. laughs> but you'd be doing, you'd be getting some really good karma. So I'm just going to put that out there. If you feel cool to, if you've enjoyed listening to this episode, I'd so, so appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes. If you have got people or topics that you are absolutely desperate to hear about, please let me know get in touch on instagram this is alice rose is probably the easiest way or you can find me at my website this is alicerose.com if you are listening right now on your iphone or another phone why not share a picture of the screen and just pop it on instagram so i can see who's listening and we can get a bit of a community going i'll be back next week with another episode take very good care and i'll see you soon